this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me as always, and frankly at long last, <laughs> it's Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Uh, what the heck day is it? It's November 18th, Yeah, I it think. really snuck up on us, because you... <laughs> it really did. <laughs> well, you you had RSV for two weeks. Yeah, so we've Because you been, have an infant. We've been, like, we've been away from the microphone for a minute through no intention of ours. It well, was, I we, didn't want a, a respiratory virus. Well, I guess that is the intention. Yes. But <laughs> in terms like, I didn't plan on getting my entire family, a respiratory infection, um, which unpleasant. Um, mm-hmm. We're fine. Now we did spend a few days in the hospital with the infant, which unpleasant. I can imagine. Um, very unpleasant. Do not recommend that to anyone. Um, and it sort of knocked us flat for a little bit. Um, I am healed now, but I had it. Uh, my wife had it. It's, you know, it's just no good. And it just feels like it's one of those seasons where everyone is just, like, dealing with something. You Turns know, when out you, like, yeah. you should get your various boosters yes. and flu shots and still wear masks when you're amongst... The, the the people of the world. Okay, just for the record, though, I am boosted and flu-shotted. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just talking generally. Not... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, this was a problem of... This is a function of daycare. Uh, my child goes to daycare, and all the other little angels at daycare... Uh, Their parents were not wearing masks. ...bring <laughs> any number of um, fun maladies into infant room A... Mm. And then it comes home to us. But anyway, um, we're back. And there's been a lot of stuff that's been happening. Yes, there's a lot that's going on. We've got uh, the HarperCollins strike, mainly, um, is the big thing going on in publishing right now, which is, um, well, we're going to get into it in a second. Um, We've got that. We have Twitter is closing imploding. down, imploding something, maybe. I mean, I'm not even convinced that's what's happening. It's it's very strange. Yeah. But anyway, the Penguin bef- Random House uh, bid to buy Simon and Schuster was struck down in federal court. <laughs> um, and then that's funny every time I think about and it. And then there's just the transition into yeah. like the the kind of like pre and post Thanksgiving stretch on the way towards the end of the year in publishing, which yeah. does like. You know, we say publishing never slows down, and you know, we've talked about how it doesn't in the summer, but it sure slows down now. So, let's talk about that to start, I think. Yeah, and because that's sort of the um, that's like the day to day reality thing mm-hmm. that we are dealing with, and we deal with it every year, right around. Basically, exactly now is yep. when this starts to really happen, right? Yeah, because this is the Friday of the last full week before Thanksgiving. So let me ask you some questions. Yeah. Um, are you submitting any more books in 2022? No. <laughs> I am <laughs> why not. Why is that? Uh, so I, I also <laughs> am not doing that, but tell me why. So there's a few reasons for this. Um, the the very like simple structural reason is that books sell the best when an editor who reads it and is really excited about it 
can then like immediately send it to their colleagues and yes. take it to Ed Board and acquire it quickly. And quickly is a relative term. Um, but with some steady momentum. Steady momentum. So, you are so right about the like, oh, everyone's gone and it's going to be four weeks. Exactly. And then shit happens. Yeah. You know what and I mean? like, something could happen <laughs> yeah, with that exactly, editor where exactly. they're like less thrilled right, about it and they'll right. sell it less hard. Right. So just generally, I don't want to put anything in front of an editor that might not have like the structural backing yeah. for acquisitions, you know, like. There are ed boards between Thanksgiving and Christmas. They're harder. It's harder to get a quorum. People are taking vacation. It's just like it's rougher. So usually yeah. um, the good strategy is to spend this time getting everything ready for January. And mm -hmm. then in January, when everybody is, quote unquote, well rested. They're not, but <laughs> but like they're coming back to it. Uh, they're feeling, I'm imagining being well rested. I know. Um, they're feeling relatively okay, mm. and you just slam yeah. them really hard in January. Um, you strike the editor firmly in the face. Yes. Yeah. That is not to say that I'm not like soft pitching things yeah. now. Like yeah. when I have, I'm still having meetings with editors. Yeah. And you know, I'm talking to them about projects that are going to be coming up, but I'm setting the expectation where, hey, I'm getting you excited about this thing. Now it's going to be on your desk. You know. You know, the first full week we come back right. in January. I've been doing some of that, yeah. Um, but then, you know, we have the, the like other reasons why you don't want to submit anything between now and then. Um, and like, really, I think it it comes down to just like the even even if like the butts are in the chairs, the focus really isn't there. Um, nope. People are, you know, like all of like the publicists and the marketing people are all have their attention fully turned towards executing holiday, like buying plans and features. Year end lists. I mean, year like, end lists, yeah. year end awards, <clears throat> right. awards eligibility, right. submission. Right. And it's just like there's a lot of reasons um, for all of that. There's also like we're hitting kind of like critical mode also for book releases where um, a book coming out now is, like, barely able to hit the, like, holiday push. Anything that comes out later in December, if you are, if your book is coming out later in December, like, don't freak out. But, but um, right now is kind of the end of the books that get, like, the full holiday push. Mm -hmm. Like, those are coming out now. So there's, there's a lot of focus on sales and retail sales and like bookstores selling these yeah. new releases yeah. um and then you know to like bring it back to the strike uh all of these are reasons why it's actually super easy as an agent to support the harper collins strike that's going on right now okay so, so let's talk about that for a yes. second so just in case you have been living under a publishing rock or you don't follow publishing news um which you don't have to. That's why you have us. Um, but HarperCollins workers um, are in are, a union. Are unionized. The only big five. Which let's take some notes yeah. there, everyone. Um, but they they're on strike. They've been on strike now. I think today's day four. Um, is that right? Uh, I want to say they've been talking about it for a while. But the actual on the picket line striking. I want to say it's 
they started last Thursday. They were going to start oh, last we're Tuesday. That far in? Okay, yeah. Okay. They so. were going to start last Tuesday, but that was election day, so they they bumped it two days. Okay. So and several months, a, a few months ago in the summer, they did a one day. Yeah. Right. Strike. And this is kind of like well, nothing. This is didn't open ended. Yeah. This is open ended, and they're out there. And if you are on publishing Twitter in any way, you can. You're seeing videos from the picket line. You're seeing authors supporting. You're seeing various industry people supporting. And to your point just now, the union has, um, they made an ask. They made specific asks for different people in different areas. Which I really liked, by the way. And I know, I can tell you firsthand, you know, having talked with people, you know, in that union, like, they put a lot of care Mm -hmm. into figuring out what they wanted to ask of different parties in terms of where they were at in the industry and how they could maybe show solidarity and stuff. And obviously the first one, um, the strike fund, which um, we contributed to. Yeah, um, which we did pays that. the workers it, because they're not getting paid right now. Yeah. Um, another, they all, there's also a email address that they're asking kind of anybody generally to send messages of support to. We'll link that out because... Um, Maybe you would like to send them. Like, let's that just would be really nice. <laughs> flood the zone, um, baby. And one one other thing they've asked everybody to do is to not boycott HarperCollins titles. I think that's key to very like, key because the whole point is that HarperCollins had I think like a two billion dollar profit <laughs> last year, and the the total raise ask that these employees are asking for is. One million dollars across the board, across everybody, across which everybody, amounts to very little, very for each, it's <laughs> very, yeah. very, very tiny part of yeah. right. um, of the revenue right. there. So if we keep giving them revenue, we can point to it and say, "Hello, this is bad. Um, you should pay us more money." It's also, I think, important in that regard because it prevents one thing that I've seen pop up here and there as a talking point and one that I really don't like, which is the idea that, oh, if everyone, you know, boycotts HarperCollins, that's bad for authors. If you support the strike, you're hurting the authors of HarperCollins. It's not true. It it isn't true. But you're seeing, and this happens anytime there's a strike of any kind, right? Like, the workers get pit against... Against, like, some other party... As a means of sowing division and, you know, putting pressure back on, you know, the people striking and putting some moral onus on them. And it, it's, I think it's very shameful. I mean, obviously, like, I think it's a strike-breaking tactic, all these sorts of things. But it's also not true. And I think one thing they've done really well to anticipate that is to be extremely pro-author in their messaging, right? Like, no, please buy keep our buying books. our books. Fly the books. We, The people we work with, like... And that, I think, has been a really interesting point of messaging throughout this process is, like, they they want to do this stuff because they really value it and they love it and they do a good job, right? And, like, they think that their work is meaningful and all, all those things they're told that they are, right? Like, you know, oh, you know, being in book publishing is a calling, all this kind of stuff. It's like... We you know, work on books we, we're passionate about basically, and that we love. Yeah, they're basically saying, yes, we agree, and also... That means that we are valuable, too, in that equation, which is a point you and I have tried to make on the show a bunch of times. That's why we took issue with, like, books are essential, right, is that phrase at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. Like, the people doing the thing are part of the magic, you know what I mean? And, like, that's true here, too, I think. And I don't know. I I hope that they get what they want. I think that they are um, 
They're not asking for much. No. You know what I mean? Like it's this is not DEI some DEI stuff that won't cost the company anything. <sighs> and it's a $5,000 raise so for, you, and we'll for entry some, level and assistance. We'll link out resources and everything uh, for people who want to support. Um, we would encourage you to do so. But yes, yeah, so the ask they made of agents, you know, of us basically. Um, it's very simple. It's very simple. And they basically asked for uh, no new submissions. Um, during this period, do not pitch Harper Collins editors new things during um, this period. Yeah, and, and that does not include fulfilling contracts or deals that have already been it, agreed upon. In progress, it doesn't option count clauses, with like, yeah submitting a new project to fulfill an option clause. It which again, I yeah. love that they're because it's just so. And this it's like heartbreaking in its own way because like these people are being so considerate in their ask and they're thinking mm-hmm. of every angle and they're thinking they've really thought through how this act and they of, talk to agents about it yeah they talk to us about yeah. it i mean it you know how <laughs> i just i'm really i really admire these people because one just you know i love a good organized labor strike but also <laughs> like I just, I just think the care they've put into this with regard to how they fit into the larger publishing ecosystem is is really thoughtful and really exemplary. And um, I don't know. I just think, like, this is the moment when people need to come together and support yeah. these people. And So, like, you know, getting on my high horse here, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of agency colleagues, I suppose we can call them, um, at different agencies, people that, you know, I have enjoyed working alongside um, in this business for several years. And what is so shocking to me is that there are very, very few statements from entire agencies and relatively few individual statements from agents in support of this Strike. I would say across the various spheres of, of the various types of publishing worker, whether that's booksellers, you know, editorial folks, agents, it feels like agents are are lagging yeah. behind every other sort of vector of publishing in terms of voicing public support. At least from what I can yeah. tell. Yeah. So know. let's. I want to like get into that yeah, a little let's bit. Talk about it. Let's talk about <laughs> why I'm, that might be. Because I'm like mad about it. Sure. Um, and the only like okay, so first of all, I'd like to reiterate, based on our previous conversation, that not only is this a reasonable and considered ask, mm-hmm. this is also an ask that is not it's not functionally at all. <laughs> it's not functionally yeah. influencing how yeah. I do my job mm-hmm. at all because the strike started a week before you know the Thanksgiving break week um we knew it was coming you and I sent out all of our like Harper Collins submissions before the strike started and now we're just doing business as usual because we've put out all of our books for the year like this is not a hard ask to follow no and it's it's just like so just to like think about i'm just trying to think aloud for a second like why an an agent or an agency might be reticent to voice extremely public support for something like this and the reason like if we were taking it in 
like total like good faith. Like these are, you know, let's just say I'm agent X and I really do have a lot of empathy for these people and I want publishing to be better and also I want to do a good job and do right by my clients and all this stuff. There's a version of this thinking that's like, okay, if I support if I'm really pro and vocally pro strike, like does that lessen does that hurt opportunities for my writers at HarperCollins, right? You know what I mean? Like it's is this somehow going to affect the careers of the writers I work with or something. And let's take that question on the short term and sure, then the long term. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So short term, not submitting to HarperCollins editors in the short term, does that hurt the author's career or chances of career? I don't think because when, it's the end of the year. It's the end of the year right now. It's not it's not a big deal and you can just send it to them later, you know. And there are and lots of other places to send it. There are plenty to. of other places. And so no, I don't think that and even just like it, and then yeah. Okay. Long term. Uh-huh. Does it like do you do you think that there is any like reasonable concern there thinking that supporting this strike will prevent us from getting deals with HarperCollins in the future? No. Um, I don't because it's like weird because I don't think it would for us because I feel like people know the deal. With <laughs> like it's not like you know we're just we're we're kind of a vocal little cohort. But I mean not if, us. I mean like yeah, an agent yeah, in but general. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, do I? So basically, like the scenario being imagined here is like an executive editor, or someone who is not on strike, basically looking at that and saying, oh. This agent supported the union. I'm not buying books from them. I don't. I don't think that's happening. I do. I do not. I can imagine. No, I do not think that is going to happen on any sort of functional level. I really don't. I mean, I think that. So I don't know what. So I guess all of this is a way of saying I don't know what the downside is of yeah. just trying to stand up for the workers exposed to the worst conditions, you know, yeah. in this industry and like. It, I would I would argue that not only does it not hurt authors' careers or opportunities in the long term, I would argue that in that support of the strike is actually going to help it long term because we can all win together. Here's folks. the thing about paying your entry level and like associate and assistant level editors and designers uh -huh. and and publicity people, mm -hmm. et cetera. Here's the deal with paying them a wage that they can't live on and manage and like hold it down for 10 years until they can make a livable wage. People who don't have structural support from like their families leave the business. Yeah, they do. And that means it disproportionately affects uh, workers from marginalized backgrounds. People without a bunch of money laying around. People yeah. without a bunch of money laying around. Yeah. And if you are somebody <laughs> that works with authors who are writing anything that is like culturally important and relevant to like 2022, 2023, um, you're probably going to want to have, first of all, workers that have that know what they're doing and have worked at a publishing house for yep. a while. Yeah. Um, if you are an agent that is concerned about keeping 
your marginalized authors safe and creating a publishing environment wherein they will be supported by their publishing you team. You should value these people. You should value yeah. these people because yeah. that's who's going to leave yeah. if they can't afford food. Yeah. yeah. Um, Basically, I mean, that's like the one big way, one big leap from that is like any conversation you and I or anyone else in publishing, and it feels like these conversations happen all the time, about diversity in publishing or um, any sort of like creating more opportunities for underrepresented folks in publishing. And the question is always like, okay, well, how do we do that? Where does the rubber yeah. hit the road? This is it. Yeah. This is like these thi- positions that are this striking is right the now. moment where that, that is happening and there is friction and there is v- material gains to be won or lost. And like, if you want to know, like we've always sort of known, or maybe people didn't know this. I mean, so it depends on how you kind of view how you know change happens. But like, one thing that I've tried to say on this show a lot is that we are not in a debate, right? Like, there's never there was never going to come a point where if you just make the right points, like online or in conversation, well enough and loudly enough, the people in charge of these industries and who actually have the ability to change things, they're going to say, oh, you are so right. We are now <laughs> going to change our practices and do these different things. That's ne- That was never going to happen. Instead, what was going to happen is actually trying to take some things by force, right? And that's where we're at now. This is that. This is the moment where, you know, whatever worker power there is, you know, in publishing – it's being flexed. It's trying to be used as a means of bettering a position. And so, like, it's if you have any concern or empathy at all for what publishing looks like and how it might exist in the future, this is your fight. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing that you... <laughs> you. I just... I don't know. I, I don't want to, like, get soapboxy, but, like, this is the moment when it's time to care and engage, you know? And even um, if... Because I know there are a lot of agents with um, very kind of uh, politics that are not ideal. Let's put it very uh, (laughs) friendly like that. And let's just say many of them do not have interest in um, in working with writers of marginalized backgrounds. They aren't um, seeking out editors who are interested in those stories. Mm -hmm. The fact is. It doesn't even really matter because so many people in the early sets of like positions here are leaving and you can't get an effective executive or senior editor if you don't have like good like industry knowledge passed from person to person. Like when you have so much turnover, like we're we're talking specifically about like I know in the forefront of our ma- minds we're talking about like safety for queer people for BIPOC yeah. writers etc yeah. but even if you ignore all of that you just lose so much industry knowledge and like competence mm-hmm. if people are leaving like, the whole this is a point the union has made a bunch of times too and it's a really good one and it's a true one and it's one that a lot of people have pretended isn't true for a long time which is the industry runs on assistance. Oh, yeah. It does. I promise you that it does. I remember I have been an assistant, and I can tell you that there were long stretches where I was running 
the whole list, like just <laughs> on my own. Okay, and when you say running the list, can you explain what that I means? was coordinating the production schedules. I was dealing with a, you know, I was dealing with various editorial timelines. I was, the, I was the point of contact for every department when they had a question about our books. Like, it was... The amount of copy I've written copy for right, books. Like, just all the things that gets a book through the process. All the sales points I've it's written a, on entire books. Yeah. It's assistance doing that. It is. And I, I'm not saying that to like say, oh, I was doing all this work. I mean, I was. But my point is that, that was your job. everyone was. Like every assistant right now in publishing does so much more than you can imagine. Truly. And I don't know. Like we're seeing right now. I know there was mention you know, someone on Twitter, you know, posted that, you know, HarperCollins employees got a note that they were going to be expediting uh, requests for temporary workers. Also known as scabs. <laughs> Which is, um, one, a really great indicator that uh, these workers are doing essential labor that yeah. can't be replaced. But also, um, you can't just bring in a temporary worker and have them manage an entire list of work. books. It's it not going to work. Things are going to go up in flames. <clears throat> well, so it, it won't work. But also, I don't want to hear about anybody doing that. Well, I'm just going <laughs> to be honest. Like, I really, like, because here, here's the thing, and this is, I think, a really difficult point to make, too. Um, publishing is a very difficult industry to enter sometimes right like the jobs that come open are few and far between they're very competitive they're all these things and so there is a temptation i know in a moment like this when a company says hey we suddenly have all these openings for you to come get in front of us and show that you can do some work for a little bit and all these things like i understand on some level why that might feel like an opportunity mm -hmm. and i'm just telling you it's that it not. isn't. That it isn't because it's just going to further damage the ecosystem that any of us need to survive. You know what I mean? Like it's like I really even apart. I mean, we could talk about, you know, we could throw, you know, words like scab around and I'm willing to here. I take it seriously. Like I don't you know, like you call somebody a scab that, you know, that's a big word. And I mean and I do think it applies in, in a lot of these situations. But even apart from that, like, I just think that we're all going to win or none of us are going to win. You know what I mean? Like, you're not, there's no way that you are going to win at the expense of a worker who's down on the picket line. It won't happen. And if all of that is not enough to convince you, let me give you this little piece of personal history. Yeah. I had nine unpaid publishing internships before somebody <laughs> decided to hire me, and I still couldn't get an interview at any of the big five. Yeah, it's tough. Nine. I Nine. That is almost double digits. That is ridiculous. <laughs> like, like it's not, it's not a thing. It's not going to work. Um, you also are, frankly, like, if anybody is considering it, just know that you are going to be thrown into a deeply complex system that doesn't have any sort of coherent or good onboarding techniques beyond being mentored by somebody in a position above you, which means that you're just going to fail. I hadn't actually thought about this part yet because you're, you're totally right. Like, what's a temporary worker going to do? Nothing. Like, Can they write sales copy? Do they understand how to apply for an ISBN? They're going to they come in and to... try to do a bunch of... Um, in progress production thing it's 
do the like, as far as temporary <laughs> as far as scabbing goes, the scabbing's a lot better elsewhere. Yeah. Like if you're <laughs> it's I don't think it's yeah, I don't know. It depends it just seems crazy to me. Like the point is all of this underscores the fact that the workers on the picket line are essential and should be given their more, taste matters, their expertise matters, their work matters. Their institutional knowledge matters, I yeah. think, more than anything here, where it's like this is not you can't just get a body in there. Like you have to have somebody who really like you're asking someone to come and sit down in the middle of four hundred different in progress conversations. And it's just, I don't know, it seems... Most of which the language you don't speak. Right, I mean, it's yeah. just, uh, it's... I had this moment of panic the other day about um, my own work as it relates to these people. I was... Um, the scabs I, or the union? The the union. Okay. Um, is in terms of, like, the unions ask for us to not do, like, new con- like it says no new contracts or anything, you know? And I have, like, I sold a book to HarperCollins back in, like, a month ago, you know? And um, you know how deal announcements and stuff go, right? Like, they take a while. Like, and Can they, I do just, like, a quick shout-out to the HarperCollins contract department for turning around a contract in one month? They are turning like, things around. Like, these workers are doing <laughs> yeah. good jobs. Yeah, Please pay are. them. They are. <laughs> that, and you know what? Actually, just so put a pin in what I was about to say, and let's say that instead, like, I like working with these people. Oh, I have like, so many books with HarperCollins. No, it's like, I don't want, like, sometimes we talk about, oh, the big five as, like, especially on this show, we often position them as, like, the villains, right? You know, in relation to, like, oh, you know, indie presses or whatever. And, well, the government and did like, just sue, like, two of them. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I just mean, like, I actually really, really like working with these places. And I think they very frequently do an amazing job and they do an amazing job because the people who are striking are extremely good at their jobs like yep. and i just want i don't know i want them just a to... big five contract in one month it's Ugh. crazy it's crazy like and no disrespect to anybody who works for mcmillan <laughs> listening but like and i'm sure the mcmillan oh contract people are very nice but like that shit <sighs> sticks around for like six months yeah no but like, like not an exaggeration so so <laughs> Um, but I, so anyway, like the deal announcement came up this week yeah. during the strike yep. and I, and it was like, am I going to be announcing a new contract f- with Harper Collins that was not made during the strike? I just want to be extremely clear. Like, and it was not submitted during the strike. None, it wasn't none of this. even when the strike was planned. Right. Right. Yeah. The timing totally on the up and up, but like there was this moment where I was like, am I going to be like you know am I sending the wrong message here or something so I like messaged them and they were of course extremely gracious and said no absolutely do the announcement we want writers getting you know because again it's like we talked about they want this is not an operation that is trying to pit writers against um, the publishing workers you know what I mean and I don't know I just hate that Uh, I hate that line and I've seen Mm -hmm. I've seen a couple agents do the sort of concerny, oh, well, there's collateral damage, you know, for writers here if the strike continues. And it's like, no, I don't, I disagree. But even if, I don't know, it's just, it's nonsense. I just think that, yeah, this is the moment. This is where you stand up and do it, you know, like, this is where you just put your 
body on the, the line. The only thing, like if I'm being super generous to that take, right? The only thing I can even consider to be anywhere close to collateral damage for authors is that reviewers have been asked to hold their reviews yeah. of HarperCollins yeah. titles until after the strike. But even then, books have a long tail in terms of sales, and they're, the union is not asking, do not review these titles. They are saying, hold these reviews until the strike is over, which do you know what that means? That means as soon as the strike is over and they win, reviews. then there is going to be a huge <clears throat> consumer push for HarperCollins titles. Yeah, there is, because... The reviews will hit, and that's how people learn about which books they want. Yeah, so, like, that's how people find things. It's kind of like a like if a if the um, everybody can win. If the publicist like got enough reviews lined up before the strike happened for for books, it kind of can almost it might even look like a like a second launch week in terms of media attention. I agree. Like, I agree. There's. They are setting up this strike in such a way that once it is over, there is going to be like actual measurable benefit to the writers. Um, That's very nice. That's very nice. Yes, it is very nice. Um, and it actually, one thing about this that I think has been a really essential tool that is going to transition us into our next topic is I really think social media has been... <laughs> an important part of this strike effort. I really do. I mean, apart from, obviously, there are people you know on the line, but just the amount of support from different corners of the industry who are able to weigh in and vouch for people and say things and, like, offer solidarity and support and even just, like, see and engage with image, like, these videos of people, you know, marching and things like that. Like, it's... That all feels kind of new, you know what I mean? Like, there's a version of this where we don't have those tools, and I feel like it might feel a lot more isolated for them. And that would be like, I, I, I mean, I think that Twitter has been really helpful for the strike effort so far, at least like in terms of generating public support, in terms of generating industry support. Mm -hmm. Like, this is where people are engaging with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is where people are seeing. Um, I'm seeing a ton of like worker stories, you know, mm -hmm. like just this was my experience working as an assistant. Like, and that's powerful, you know what I mean? And that's all happening on this platform, Laura, that mm. <laughs> appears to be on its way out. Yeah. Um, though that seems to be the popular perception. I have no idea. Okay. And I'm not. We're talking a, about Twitter. We're you are <clears throat> yeah. offline. Um, yeah. Yeah. Twitter was <laughs> right about the same time as the strike started. Uh, Elon Musk acquired Twitter, and it's been going downhill ever since. And in one way, you know, the schadenfreude of that is just, like, owning, you know, making the jokes and, like, tanking pharmaceutical companies for $8 <laughs> has been really invigorating. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I have <laughs> been, like, very slowly, uh, I, I would say dealing with, but the truth is, is I'm dissociating from it, Um is how useful it is. I mean, it's a hell site, but it's like how useful it is for like all of like putting together all of the elements of publishing and books together. Like there yeah. is really not yeah. another place where Nothing's I can combine 
craft discussion and worker discussion and also help querying writers, mm-hmm. but then also make connections with editors about it's been their essential taste. to my job. And yeah, it's it's like it's very essential because this business is built in a way that silos everything and keeps you know, and like the publishers are always telling us like, well, the bookstores are their own thing and the marketing is its own thing and editorial is its own thing. And it's not true. Like all of this, they're all interconnected. All of the people working in the warehouses and the stores and in editorial and in design and the people writing, like they're all connected and there's so many different facets of it. And like, I don't know, I woke up this morning and apparently everybody like freaked out last night that like yeah, Twitter they did. was going to go new, dark. There was new reporting. I mean, he's basically. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not a tech reporter, so I won't get all this exactly right. But like, you know, he's like firing huge swaths of the workforce, and he sent out the rest that, are quitting. He sent and... that stupid memo out that was like, "You got to work and be hardcore if you work here." And apparently, everyone. I've just never like, been hardcore a day in my life. Everyone just like <laughs> no. Th- everyone basically said no, thank you, and now like. No, I don't know. It seems like it's a real skeleton crew there right now, and Twitter is a highly complex site to keep running, and all this kind of like it's just you know this is a um, yeah. this ship is not looking very steady right now. No, and which is a is a bummer because it's how we talk with a lot of you about print run, but but it's also you know just like the way to keep your head out of your own ass when you're working in this business. Yeah. No, that's it's true. It, it certainly cuts down on, especially in the pandemic, and especially when, like, being a freelancer or something. Like, I mean, it's I I don't think, obviously, Laura, I love having a good time online, <laughs> and I spend an inordinate and inappropriate amount of time screwing around. On but Twitter. even if you didn't, but even if I didn't, the actual use of the site for me. Has been extremely valuable to me, and so like I sold books over Twitter. Yeah, I sell books over. I sign authors over Twitter. I I do all kind like it's been an essential part of my workflow, and it's just like I also think a lot about how much how much publishing advice for years now in terms of advice for writers Mm -hmm. has come down to oh platform you have to be on social media. Like, Which is, like, not it really re- true. Of course but. it's not, but it gets said a lot. <laughs> and it's also gets said in specific relation to, like, there's this conventional wisdom that if you're a writer, you've got to be on Twitter. And now, now everybody's telling you that you have to be on TikTok. But that oh. only works if you're young and hot and white. <laughs> I'm, that's not a joke. It's actually incredibly true. I don't know anything about TikTok. It's got, like, a race problem, you're saying? Uh... Sure, we'll just we'll leave what? it at that. So, I, so does, educate. I don't. So I've never been on TikTok. Okay. I mean, every now and then the videos appear on Twitter and I watch them, but I've never been on like. Have you I, heard the name Colleen Hoover? Yeah, she's like a big writer. Yeah, big like TikTok writer. Yeah, she's a so, TikTok writer. Well, she's she's I know that popular she sells a lot on of TikTok. Books. Yeah, okay. Um, and you know, I'm not here to like get into the conversation about whether her like romances are like problematic because of depiction like romanticized depictions of abuse okay um but basically there have been a few very successful breakout writers who have like hit lists because they do popular tiktoks Uh um book talk book talk i hear that and like you can go into barnes noble i guarantee you go into barnes noble right now there will be a book talk table really in yeah in like as you walk in do i have to join this site 
No. Okay, you're good. old. Yeah, I'm old. Spiritually, you're too old. Oh, spiritually, old. I'm twice my age. Yeah. yeah. I'm maybe I'm not three times. TikTok. I'm um, not doing TikTok. I can't do TikTok. <laughs> I don't have a strong or negative opinion about TikTok. I you just are know not a I'm video maker. No, I want to type my little thoughts into the little box. Correct. Okay. Um, no, but you, you do not have to do this. Um, but essentially, like, there there is now this, like, you know, people on the front of the trend be like, oh, you have to do what Colleen Hoover is doing and oh. do this stuff. But the thing is, is people have been trying it and it only is really working for like conventionally attractive, like thin white God. women, um, uh. which like, honestly, if you are one of those, like use it like sure, sure. But like it is not. Like, turns out, Eric, that a primarily visual medium that takes a really, really long time to record videos for and to engage with um, is not the best option for, for people who have jobs. For people who have jobs. Or do for anything. people, yeah, yeah, for people who um, yeah. are not conventionally attractive. Yeah. Like, there are ways to get around it, but like, it's a lot of investment and it's really, really it hard. Seems... What's not hard is typing your stupid, like, 280 characters into a little box. Um, actually, it's the hardest go. thing in the world, and I'm basically <laughs> a Marine for doing You're it. Braver than the so, troops. <laughs> um, you can take that back. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just, the point is like, what I would like to have happen in the social media conversation as it relates to author advice is um, it needs to account for the fact that these sites are not neutral platforms and are instead like they exist at the whims of the worst people on earth. And yep. as soon as those people like decide to do something weird, like it could all come crashing down. And then what have we, what has an author been doing building their platform there? And so it's like, Maybe this is the moment where, because so much, this is what I would love, this isn't what's going to happen, but this is what I would love to happen, is I would love for publishers to take back some of the responsibility of building an author and promoting an author. Because right now, the way it works is an author has to do that. They have to, like, generate a bunch of content and do all this stuff and, like, find a following that they well, make themselves. Quick correction. They're told that they have to do that. They're yeah. expected to do that. But it turns out almost none of that actually moves the needle. It's yeah. just the straw man that then the publisher can blame can when, when, they, when the book doesn't sell. It's true. No, I mean, uh, that's that is also extremely not a true. And um, so, like, I just, I hope that seeing how easily and quickly a site we all thought was integral to our work and lives like Twitter can come crashing down like this. And it might not. I'm honestly like nothing, nothing cool. Like Elon Musk permanently humiliate himself. Nothing like that ever actually happens. No. Like these people always find He's a way. He's going to let somebody else take you know over. I mean? like, it's going to be back it, to normal it, in like three months. Like, you know how it goes. Like, we never get the clean, flawless victory. Twitter is that the cockroach be... of the social media world, uh, which is why I like it so much. Because it's dirty and gross, lives forever. Correct. Um, also, you know, I'm just not going to let anybody drive me off the platform because. Like, I feel like it's a big fuck you that, you know, I'm a, like, 
female Jewish business owner, and it's just like rife with Nazis, and yeah, like, oh, yeah. they can't drive me off. Yeah, anyway, a, that's my own thing. But. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, um, no, I mean, it, it's just... I don't know. I think that a lot of this highlights the fact that we need to have more sustainable models for growing authors and introducing them to readers than the social sites that are extremely flawed on good days and fundamentally broken on the bad days. Yeah. And if Twitter actually does go away, we will figure out a way to transition a little bit of our Patreon, which is mostly focused on, like, yeah. writers, yeah. perhaps into something a little bit broader. But, like, let, pa- that's a lot of work, so, like, let's hope that that doesn't happen. I'm imagining, happen. I'm picturing me doing little TikTok dances with, like, words, you know, <sighs> how people do those. And there's, like, Nobody little, needs to see your hips move like everyone's that. Everyone's just, like, you know, and there's, like, a little song playing, and I'm, like, doing my little dance in my bedroom, and then I, like, point and, like... Can There's we do like the it word. without a song and just wear the vest you're wearing right now? So it's just like the swish of of like polyester. What if we put what if what if we like transposed the loon head onto my body and like put a bookmark in that? We gotta end this episode. I have a bunch of new social app. No, I have social nobody media let ideas. Eric join TikTok. Everybody right now hurry and like reserve all of the names the- <laughs> that possibly he could he could use. Get ready for Loon Talk, baby. Oh no. It's coming. Oh no. Okay. We're going to do I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to like do not dance in for the camera. Don't do it. I've seen you dance. Don't do it. Come on now. I got great moves. <laughs> I'm a I'm a real shaker. I'll get it going. I got like the grocery cart, the lawnmower, the sprinkler head. Okay. I'm putting an end to this episode right here. Uh, (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of Print Run. Let's cross our fingers and hope that after Thanksgiving, neither of us will come down with new viruses that keep us apart. Um In the meantime, you can send us your queries, your first pages, your topic requests, or any questions you might have. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. And I do not want to see any emails from any of you requesting a specific dance for Eric to do on TikTok. Yep. Not a one. Time, baby. Not a one. Let's do it. 